Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger. Thank you so much for checking in with us. This is episode 133. Um, Gosh, crazy. It's our 117th episode for the year. We're going to get to about 120 by the end, which um, is just crazy to me. But we're so grateful and, and, and thankful for um, the podcast and everybody who listens. So we're super grateful for all the 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 listening and sharing that you do. So if you want to catch up with us, um, you could really do us a super huge favor, favor. We just redesigned our website, and hopefully by the time this goes out, it'll be launched, but the ledproject.com. If you could go over there, check it out, tell us what you think, um, and if you should see an error or a spelling or something grammatically wrong, if you could take a screenshot of it and send it to me uh, via Instagram at our value adds value, or you can email me. Uh, at Kyle at the LED project.com. Uh, my teacher friends, I need you to, to help me out with that. So otherwise, if you want to catch up with us, uh, I'm going to be in Atlanta the 27th of December for the pep talk series brought to you by the right stuff chicks. Um, really cool stuff going on there. And we will also be in Atlanta, uh, the end of March for the next teacher heart out conference, which will be, uh, in Atlanta. So we hope to see you at any of those events, but, uh, this episode of the podcast is with Dana Harris. He is a teacher out in Oakland. Uh, he had been teaching primarily out in North Carolina prior to this, but he runs a super cool math program and a, a math tutoring program, program, and he's a great teacher. So uh, we hope you enjoy this episode, especially if you're a math teacher, because you got Will and, and him just rapping and talking about math. But uh, thanks for tuning in and checking us out, and we hope you enjoy this episode of the LED Project Podcast. Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger. Welcome back to the show. I got my guy Wilkie Law on for episode, what is number 132. Will, how are you? I'm doing groovy, groovy, man. How about yourself? I'm doing excellent. I'm doing excellent. You know, it's the Saturday after Thanksgiving. We're rock and rolling. And uh, I know you're excited. I'm not, I mean, I'm excited. Maybe not excited to you because I'm not a math person, but we are we are thrilled to have uh, Dana Harris on the podcast. Dana, how are you? I'm doing awesome. I uh, appreciate you, gentlemen, for having me as a guest this morning. Yeah, yeah, we were looking, we were looking forward to it. And we gotta, we gotta thank our friend Chip Baker, who's uh, really been uh, incredible at connecting us with other people. Uh, you know, through his podcast that that we can bring on to uh, to add value to the teachers. So, you know, what we try to do with this podcast, Dana, is just really. The, the number one thing is to inspire teachers. I mean, that's our, that's our mission. That's our goal. But we also want to give them some, you know, real concrete value that they can add to their, to their teaching craft. So could you give us just a little bit uh, of your backstory and, and why it is that you became an educator? Um, well, my story is uh, similar to a lot of people. Uh, so I guess the quickest version of it is, is, Heading into college, I didn't know what I wanted to major in. I just knew that math was my favorite subject. Uh, I was pretty good at it. Um, I always tell people I got conned into being a math major because um, I took pre-calculus my first semester of college, and that was actually the only class that I didn't get an A in. I got a C, and it really broke my heart. The following semester, I took calculus one, and I got a 100 on the first uh, test. And so the um, professor said, Mr. Harris, I need to see you after class. So, of course, I'm thinking, uh-oh, he thinks I cheated. Um, so he took me up to meet the department chair, and that was the day they conned me into becoming a math major. 
Uh, that that was the beginning part of the story. Fast forward after all the struggles and things, I graduated. But you know, all along I said that I didn't want to become a teacher because they didn't get paid enough. Um, so I, I got a job working as a credit counselor um, after graduation, and probably about three months later, a friend of mine said, "Hey Dana, there's a uh, part-time teaching position available uh, in town. You know, I think you should try it out." And so I was like, ah, okay, sure. You know, my, my son had uh, just been born a few months before that. And uh, and so I decided to try out that part-time teaching position. And probably about a month or two later, I decided to quit the job as a credit counselor. And um, I took on another part-time teaching position, which, you know, pretty much made me full-time. I was just working at two different schools and... Uh, now I'm in year 14 as a teacher, man, so that's the story. Wow. wow, that is crazy because, you know, it's funny because the birth of my daughter, I always know how long I've been teaching because it's the same reason that I came into teaching is when she was born, I wanted to make sure that I was working something that was sustainable to having a family. And, um, but yeah, I, I think I don't think I've ever, I mean, as many people as I've been in education, and I don't think, think you're the first math major that I've, I've had contact with. Most people, even who teach math or education majors, who are good in math. And, the, yeah, it's good to talk to a math major. That was a, that was a, a very <laughs> stressful journey. Um, but, yeah, that's that's why I always tell people I was kind to it, man. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So, so along the way, Dana, do you have... Do you have a teacher that really stood out to you as impactful that that kind of, you know, planted that seed somewhere in you that really made you, you know, I guess, decide to jump ship to something that, you know, you were a credit counselor, but then you decided to, to, you know, give teaching a chance. So was there a teacher in there somewhere that really had an impact on you? Uh, Well, there were several. Earliest one that I could remember is uh, Miss Williams, my tenth grade geometry teacher, um, and, and I couldn't stand her. But the very first day of class, I was clowning around, and she moved me to the front of the class. Um, and as I was walking to the front of the class, uh, she she put me in, at the desk right in front of her overhead projector. So uh, <laughs> back in those days, you know. Uh, so I was clowning, and she said, come sit right here. And I said, uh, well, you know what they say? If, if you sit in the front of the class, you'll get an A. And I said, am I going to get an A? She says, I don't know. Uh, that depends on how hard you work. But Miss Pam Williams was the first one that um, really showed me that I was gifted in math. Uh, and then fast forward, I had some great professors, uh, and they were young at the time when I attended Fayetteville State University out in uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina, so. Um, I, I can list, you know, a few of those. Dr. Kenneth Jones, he made a great impact. Um, Bobby Hostler, uh, he made a great impact. Um, he was Mr. Gillespie back then, but he's now Dr. Gillespie. Uh, those are a few in my college years that made an impact. But definitely, Miss Williams was the first one who made a lasting impact on me. Mm. So, you know, it's interesting because my story for my lasting impact started with a math teacher, but it wasn't a positive one. Um, my sixth grade math teacher actually, uh, you know, put me in a corner and said, stay over there, you, you don't do nothing, you won't be nothing, and kind of put me in a position to where I gave 
gave up on school. And, wow. you know, in me giving up on school in the sixth grade, that was such a defining moment because when my mom found out that I had stopped going to school, uh, she forced me to go back to the same teachers uh, that next year. Like, she didn't let, and, you know, she didn't, you know, they didn't do the social promotion back then. So it was, you here, you're going to stay here until you grow horns and, and start doing whatever you need to do, but you're going to grade. But she, uh, she, we, we, she could have put me with a different rotation of teachers, but I had the exact same teachers again. And I tell everyone, I think that year, that sixth grade, second term, was my um, most defining moment. And I believe that's when all my character was built. So it's funny how your situation started with a positive, you know, light that kind of forced you to say, hey, look, let me look at myself differently. And mine started with a negative, but it still had the same impact of, hey, let me look at myself differently. That makes right. kind of like so. It's the same. You get the same outcome, just different, uh, different go throughs, so so to speak. Oh so. yeah, oh yeah, mm. and, and 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 I I'm sure that you often relate back to that experience, you know, as a classroom teacher, and and it probably has empowered you to give more, so that you know your students don't have to go through a uh, an experience like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I tell them that. You know, I'm here so that no kid ever has to feel the laughter. <laughs> you know, and I make sure even my worst kids, you know, I'm embracing those kids. The kids who think that they're the toughest. No, I'm going to embrace you. I'm going to show you that there, there's an alternative to being what you are. Oh, yeah. I want to pull out the best of what's in you. Not, I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want what everybody else gets. I want the best. Those so are I my yeah, it's like those, those challenges are the ones you really want to drive, that drive you. Yes, sir. I agree. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. So, you know, being that we got two math people on, you know, we're, we're, we'll kind of open um, um, this up to either one of you kind of just to start the dialogue. But um, what do you what do you believe it takes, whether, you know, I guess more of on the side of, of the qualities of a student, you know, what qualities does it take in a student to to be successful in math? Because I know you believe, um, you know, because I read a little bit of, you know, your stuff online, Dana, you both believe that every kid can be successful in math. So what do you see as the qualities, uh, you know, in students who are, you know, or what does it take for those kids to be successful in math? Well, uh, for me, I have what I call the equation for success in mathematics. Uh, And that equation for success is relationship plus mindset plus confidence equals success. Um, and, and so those are important things. And notice none of those are actual academic skills. Um, and, and what I think is so cool about that, as I was reading over the, you know, uh, the LED website, I was like, wow, these two guys pretty much their, their mission and, and everything that this, this organization was built upon is similar to mine. And so uh, the relationship piece was simply because, you know, that's my claim to fame. You know, I'm the teacher that wants to, uh, like Will said, I want the challenging kids. You know, um, I want the kid. I don't want to hear what the next teacher has to experience with that child because I know who I am and I know that I'm probably not going to get that same result out of that same kid. Right. Um, so the mindset piece, um, and that came from, 
not only reading the book mindset when I was in graduate school, but also doing a lot of reading about uh, Dr. Joe Bowler's work out of Stanford, mm. man. Oh, man, I love Joe Bowler. Phenomenal. Yeah, man. Like, that's one of my math rock stars. So, you know, <laughs> like, like, she's one of the people that I actually want to meet um, that's a, a great uh, math educator. And then the confidence piece, I think it comes from the relationship and getting them to shift their mindset because, you know, there's so many kids that, Unfortunately, at an early age, they give up on mathematics. And so when we build that relationship with them and we get to shifting their mindset, then it creates confidence in the kid, which all of those things, if they have that, they're going to be successful. Right. Right. And I'm with you with Joe Bowler. That's my that's my go to. When I was a math instructional coach, um, I would start my meetings when, you know, start my meetings with videos that she talks about the brain research. Cause I don't think a lot of teachers are focused on the fact that now we're teaching in an age where we know what is happening to a kid's brain when we do right. certain things. And I think that as an educator, that's important to me for me to know so I can avoid some of those pitfalls that they're saying when you do this, brains are shut down. You know, there, there are no synopsis firing. But when you do this, kids light up. So why not do this more? Because I know they're saying this is what works. And again, there's no smoking gun and no no magic bullet for everything. But the reality of it is, I have a higher you know probability of being successful by following the research that's out there and it's so abundant. But a lot of people don't pay attention to it. I agree. Do you, yeah. do you see that even like I know you're on the West Coast? Do you see that out there that 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 teachers are? Are teachers making the shift from focusing on what the research is saying about education, or is it still kind of the, I've been teaching for, you know, 10 plus years, I've kind of got this in autopilot now, I can teach. So, do you see it shifting over there at all? Let me make this disclaimer first. Kyle, <laughs> I think you messed up, man. You got two mathematicians <laughs> Dude, I'm enjoying. I'm just sitting back. I got a cup of, I got a cup of coffee. I'm just really enjoying my morning. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Will, to answer that question, so so the part that I failed to um, to to say is that the early, my first 12 years of teaching was actually in North Carolina. Um, I just oh, recently, this is my second year teaching out in Oakland, California. I relocated out here, um, you know, originally from here and, and relocated out here to help my grandmother. But to your point, it's everywhere, man. I, I've worked at several schools. I worked in uh, in three different districts when I was in North Carolina, and then I worked as as an adult high school instructor at a community college. And then even coming here, that is one of the big shifts that I don't think many of the math teachers are making. You know, understanding that things aren't the same. And, and like you say, hey, I've been doing it this way for so long. Yeah, but we have to really adapt to our kids. Unfortunately, there's a lot of educators that want kids to adapt to them. But to be honest, my mentality is that we have to adapt to our kids because the group of kids that we had last year or last semester, they're not the same as this group of kids. And so um, I like the fact that you mentioned that the research shows, you know, and so, and so how, how many of us are actually being really reflective in our practice like are we are we when we give an assessment and we look at the data do we say okay well 
I notice X amount of percent of kids miss this question. Okay. Was this a bad question, maybe? You know? Mm. Um, or, or, or is it something that I need to reteach because the students don't understand? So I, I think being reflective in our practice is important with that. And then I like what you said about, you know, the brain research as well. Mistakes are your friend. And so I, I have this thing that I tell the kids and I say, I get country on them. I say, now thing is better than now thing. And they say, what is good, Mr. Harris? And I tell them, anything is better than nothing. Like, give me something. If you put something on your paper, then now I have something to go off of. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so, yeah, man. That, that's, yeah, we, we have to shift. Like, I had to totally, I, I would say probably after my seventh year of teaching, I had to, like, unlearn and relearn. Like I was mm-hmm. teaching the way I was taught. And right. it just came to me. I'm like, listen, I don't have the energy for this. Um, I'm putting in all this work. And I would look at other teachers that were the first person on the on in the building, the last person to leave the building. And I'm like, they're going through the same struggles that I'm having. I've got to do something different. And so when I started mm-hmm. making those adjustments uh, and started teaching in a different way to adjust to the kids, man, it, it changed my life as an educator. Gosh, Will. Hey, you know, it's funny. Go ahead. I was just going to say, we were, wasn't it Pedro Nagero that we were listening to last week at AIE that was talking about, you know, shaping, shaping learning based on the kids in the room versus trying to shape the kids to what you want them to learn? Wasn't that his talk? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking mm-hmm. about that, you know, with what you said, Dana, about testing. I, you know, I grew up in Wisconsin, but then I taught in Houston and I remember being an eighth grade history teacher, which is one of the state tested grades, like you had to pass the test to move on. And I remember looking at history tests that were more difficult than my college level history tests. And I just, and I looked at it and I was like, this is not, this is not testing what the kids know. I mean, because in reality, history, the way it's taught is, can you recall facts? You know, it's not a lot of, you know, going deeper into that. But I was like, this isn't testing whether the kids, you know, can recall facts. It's, it, it just blew my mind to the point where I was like, I have a hard time. You know, we were, t- we were a set of teachers that were trying to look over a test. And we had a tough time understanding what the question was even asking for. So, you know, what you said on that really, really spoke to me in that, you know, really trying to base it on the kids because here, here we had this blanket test. And at that point, the district, which, you know, how many how many students does Aldean serve, Will? Isn't it? Like 70-something thousand plus. Yeah, you know, so it's a huge district in Houston. And the district was, was giving us the test that we had to give to our kids. So it just, it was really a hard time for me to try to understand how I could really teach my kids while having to have this benchmark and, and what you were saying about having to, to unlearn and relearn how to teach really spoke to me when you were talking about that. Yeah, that and even now, that podcast right there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And it's funny because even now with me being, I've been out of the classroom for the last three years. I was an instru- math instructional coach. And so teaching teachers... Right. Well, not even teaching teachers. I'm going to say coaching teachers and trying to inspire teachers to to want to teach math differently. 
uh, I saw it as a struggle because I, you have, it's like not everyone is 100% receptive and not saying that everybody needs it. There are some great teachers out there who are great doing what they're doing and they don't need anybody to come in to coach them and to work with them or to do anything. And I think for me, I lost my love for why I got into the crap, trying to spend time trying to convince people to try different things. And I said, why don't I just do it? Let me go back into the classroom. You know, let me, you know, let me just stop trying to get a third party validation here and let me actually prove that this worked. So this is my first year going back into the classroom. And I literally had to throw the last 11 years out the window. You know, I, I gleaned from the experiences, but like I had no go-to. You know, I, as a teacher, you had your go-to lesson. You had your go-to this. You had your go- I didn't have any go-to. And I'm working now in a, you know, more of an urban environment where it's more mixed. It's more of a 50-50 mix. Mm-hmm. I said 48-48 with some sprinkles. Um, <laughs> and I was usually being in an environment where, you you know, we're dealing serving 75 to 80% Hispanic population. So it's a big shift dealing with, you know, a more um, minority-dominant um, mixture of kids between African-American and Hispanic. It brings a different dynamic that I've never taught in. So I'm having to, as you say, unlearn a bunch of stuff and relearn a lot of stuff really, really fast. And I just, my kids are like, Mr. Mike, every time we come in here, something different. I say, you dictate what the class do. If I do something and y'all and y'all feel it one day, we're gonna keep doing it. If, if I try something new and I don't get the results I want, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna modify it to make it to get the results. And they were like, "But you're the only teacher that talked to us. Is it your classroom?" I ask them all the time. When you go to restaurants, they ask you to give your your opinion on how you're being served. You're my customers. If I can't serve you right, I'm not concerned on how what you're getting from the classroom. Then I'm doing you an injustice. You know, and that's to them is so foreign. They're like, what? You you care about what we think? Right. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what type what does that say about our educational system uh when kids don't feel like their voice matters? So let me ask you how, how do you deal with that being in Oakland and you know, that how do you what do you do to, to give students their voice back in education? Because I love the Relationship mindset confidence, the fact that that had nothing to do with any curriculum standards anywhere. But what do you do to give students their voice to, to, to help them understand that their learning belongs to them? It's there. It, it's, it's so ironic because everything you just described is very similar to my classroom. You know, um, I, I, I make the adjustments based, based on them, but... Kids in my classroom know, I'll tell them all the time, you know, your life is at stake. And I need you to understand that it's bigger than just getting these grades. So so uh, to kind of backtrack a second, you know, it was a major adjustment going from the districts that I worked in in North Carolina, which were um, not rural. Well, well, actually, they, I, they would be considered rural to now coming to. Oakland, California, 10 times, a, a district 10, 20 times bigger, you know, um, than, than all of the districts that I worked in. And so, like you say, the, the population of students being served, totally different, you know, 
um, and, and a lot more diversity. So I, one of the things that I do to give them their voice is I ask a lot of questions. I'm very, very big on questions. And, and, and I even have this, this quote that I usually keep in the back of my room uh, by Einstein, and it says, education is not the learning of facts, but it's the training of the mind to think. And so part of giving them their voice is, is not only doing the things that you talk about um, and having that mentality of service, but I ask them things about their cultures. So, so we're a, um, what's the term that they use? Uh, a sanctuary district. And so I have kids that are from Palestine. I have kids from Yemen. I have uh, uh, Japanese kids, Filipino kids. I mean, it's just a big melting pot of kids. And I realized that I don't want any kid from another culture to feel like I'm only talking to the African-American kids. I'm only talking to the Hispanic kids. You know, I'm only talking to the, the uh, you know, just one population of kids. And so I get to ask questions. And, and uh, that's the biggest thing that I do, you know, and, and like, you know, we just celebrated Thanksgiving. And so, you know, so so kids that are from different cultures, we get to talking. And I say, hey, so what do you all do, you know, um, around this time? I know you don't celebrate Thanksgiving, but what do you all do? And a kid, you know, from Yemen, he was saying, hey, well, Mr. Harris, we celebrate uh, this holiday. And I didn't, I was kind of familiar with it and uh, he didn't expect me to know anything. I said, I said, so that's, you know, right after, um, Ramadan, right? He was like, yeah. And, and he was shocked that I even knew that. So, so I get to asking them stuff about their culture, stuff that goes on in their home, you know, cause I want to compare the, the kids, the American kids who, uh, are, are, stigmatized to say that okay they only play video games they play video games for 20 hours a week and then i want to know this other group of kids okay well what do your parents make you do uh throughout the week and how much time do you invest in education and things like that so the the answer to your question is i ask a lot of questions Mm. so I, i i am interested to hear a little bit more about about being a sanctuary district and and I, I think I understand the concept, but is there, with our current political environment, is there backlash for being considered a sanctuary district? Or I guess I'm, I'm not really familiar with the, the political landscape in Oakland, but could you just elaborate a little bit more on, on what that is and, and the impact it has on your school? I, I think that, um, and, and it's something that I'm still learning, but... One of the a major impact that it had was uh, with the shift in, in government um, and, and everything going on in Washington D.C. Last year, we had several kids that were worried. In fact, there were emails going out talking about um, ICE agents being around Oakland and how it it might affect our student population. And so this was this was interesting to me because. In the last high school that I worked at, the previous three years, I had Hispanic kids coming to me and saying, hey, Mr. Harris, there was one kid I'll never forget. And he would say it jokingly uh, because he was just that kind of kid, but he would always make jokes about ICE picking up one of his uncles or something like that. But being here in Oakland now 
it's like it's not just kids that are uh, Hispanic talking to me about this. There, there's there's these kids that are you know from Palestine, and they're going into details talking about fearing being removed from their environment, things like that. And and I mean I'm talking about like not just one or two kids. We're talking about groups of kids. Like hey, Mr. Harris, can we talk to you? And not just me, you know, talking to other teachers as well. So, so it's one of those things that as a staff, we have to be aware of what's going on in the news. And, and I'm not a TV watcher at all, but uh, it, it causes a lot of communication from our superintendent as well to make sure that schools like mine are, are being aware that our students may come to school acting a little different or, or, or we may be seeing certain behaviors from them. And those behaviors could be related to them being feared, having the fear of, you know, family members being picked up by ICE agents and then possibly, uh, you know, being deported and things like that. And, and, and so what makes it a lot worse is, you know, media, things like that. And so, you know, could you imagine being a 13 year old kid and you're just trying to be a good student and a good child to your parents, but at the same time, you know, uh, if you if they lived already in the Middle East, they know what they came from. But then to to have that fear of wondering, could this end any day? Like, like it's it's much better here. But according to what I'm hearing on TV, I could be me and my family could be sent back to our country, or my parents, or parents, or or family members could be sent back to our country, and now my family's divided. So, so uh, that's that's my take on it, man. It, it, it takes a lot of communication from the top of the district all the way down to us as teachers, man. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's a different dynamic. But Similar to the one we faced uh, with the, at my, one of my previous schools, <clears throat> but not from just all over. It was primarily, like I say, Latin America. Um, but, wow, that's pretty interesting. Mm. I do. I do want to make sure what we got you on here because we we definitely got to be respectful of your of your time. I, I do want to shift gears to talk a little bit about the the online tutoring um, that you do, Dana, because I think it's something you know that that teachers. It seems like teachers more and more are doing it. Um, you know, as a way to make some more on the side and have a greater impact. But I'm really interested to to hear how you see the tutoring you do impacting students? Um, well, uh, it did start out as a way to make some extra cash, man. Um, uh, in, when I was in North Carolina, um, but I realized over the years, man, that even after a long rough day at work, when I would come home and work with my, uh, tutoring clients, I just got this great feeling, you know, I don't have to think about the, the, the politics. I don't have to think about the powers that be, so to speak. So it, it gave me this freedom to do what I loved on my own terms. Uh, and, and initially it started out, I was doing uh, face-to-face tutoring, but I met a lady online, uh, Joanne Kaminsky, who's actually out of Wisconsin. Um, she's, she's in the suburbs of, um, 
if I'm not mistaken, she's up there in the suburbs of Green Bay. But anyway, mm-hmm. she's out of Wisconsin, and, and, and I, I discovered her online, and she's an online tutor business coach. Uh, so just learning from stuff that she's done, she's successfully been able to do this full-time. And um, about three years ago, I came across her information and just started learning from her. And when I made the shift to online teaching, uh, what I found is that the I think the value that I'm adding to the kids online that I tutor is the fact that, number one, they're in a comfortable environment. For the parents, it's convenient for them as well. And then there's still that opportunity to, like, there's that opportunity to reach kids beyond the four walls of my classroom. You know, I, I had this this aha moment years ago that I realized, like, hey, I want to be able to impact kids outside of these four walls. I want to be able to teach on my terms. Like, I really enjoy doing this, but I want to do it on my terms. And so the, the, the online kids are great. Uh, we get to build that relationship and that rapport still. Um, but I think one of the biggest things that I, I see with that is that they get to see a different perspective. And so I try to make sure that I tell them things like, hey, I'm going to show you this way to do this. And I'll show you a couple alternate ways. However, remember this. You know, we always hear kids say, oh, my teacher said that's not how you do it. Uh-huh. So I, I get to tell the kids, hey, so if you go in the classroom and you do it this way, that's not like your teachers. I don't know a teacher that is not going to give you credit if you show the work to support that. And then I've, I follow that up with saying, if that teacher does not give you credit for something that you're showing work for, then you need to take that up with your parents because now that's a bigger issue. So um, online tutoring has helped save me time. It's helped me be able to serve more students. And uh, it's convenient for me as well. You know, as, as a father, um, oftentimes I would struggle with the concept of my son watching me come home and then leave out to go tutor versus now when he sees me at the house tutoring, it's like, oh, wow. So so it, it, it has a positive effect on him as well. Mm. Yeah. So I, I guess on on that vein to, to kind of get wrapped up because we know you got to gotta get it moving, what advice would you give to teachers who, uh, both to teachers who are, thinking about going that route and also to, you know, to parents who might be listening, who are maybe interested in getting their kids extra help in that route. Um, well, I think that one of the reasons why I get a lot of parents that reach out to me is because this, and my air quotes are definitely up this new math. They don't understand it. You know, so, so I try to, I try to add value to the parents as well by explaining certain things to them. Um, and, and we can, you know, I'm pretty sure, actually the three of us, not just Will and I, but we could have a long conversation about Common Core, its implementation, how it's affected uh, our nation and our students. But I, I think that as a parent, if you have the opportunity to invest in your child to get that extra help that they need, then I would encourage, uh, first I'm going to, I'm going to, encourage you to hire me but you know any tutor you know because they get that one-on-one experience that a lot of kids don't necessarily get in the classroom 
Our classrooms are overcrowded, so kids need that one-on-one sometimes. And, and just a few minutes of one-on-one instruction that is consistent can make a, bit, a very big difference in the child. Um, and, and I think the other piece to that is, is that when parents see that as a tutor, you're actually trying to assess what are the gaps, you know, um, it makes a big difference. One of the biggest things that I struggle with is there are times that, so there's two types of, of clients I get. I either get one client that a lot of times they really just want homework help with their child because they don't understand how to do it. Or I get the other client that really wants to assess and fill those learning gaps, get them caught up so that they can move forward. Um, so, so I think that those are the things that I'm learning. And, and, and in that, there are often times for the kids that, you know, I, I mainly do homework help with, I have to bite my tongue because I see assignments sent home that I feel like add no value to the kid and it makes me cringe, man. <laughs> uh, so, so I try to be intentional with what I give my kids in the classroom. And so, uh, you know, those are things that I feel benefit kids with tutoring. I've had some kids that come to me and, you know, I work with them for a year and they move forward and, and, and they don't need the assistance anymore. But then I've had other students that, you know, math is just not their strong suit. They're making it, but, you know, they're repeat clients. Um, my goal is always to be able to make a child confident enough in their math skills and, and equip them with the tools that they'll need so that they don't have to come back. Um, because right. I think that yeah. makes a lasting impression. And, and those are, that throws me into that group of teachers that they'll never forget. Mm. Right. Mm. Right. Put me out of bed. Put me out of work. Mm-hmm. Make, yeah. make, me, make me not have to do what I do anymore because you already, you, you get it. Exactly. So, yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yep. All right, Will, anything you want to, any last little questions, anything you want to add before we wrap this up? Um, no, just, uh, I, I, I want to continue this conversation, you and I, so maybe we can, once uh, one gets better internet, I want to kind of just kind of have some deeper conversations about, um, it's rare to have have male educators, but it's really rare to have black male educators in math. Um, and so I, I would love to continue this conversation with, with our presence in mathematics and how we could probably start some things up that I think would benefit a lot of our, our, our males who are struggling within mathematics. We know that's one of the biggest struggles and hurdles is getting kids past the algebra one hump. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, I mean, because if, if they don't pass out of the one, the, the chance of them dropping out of school goes up significantly high. And I want to continue a conversation with you outside of this about about how we can kind of start chipping away at that and, uh, you know, reversing those statistics with our kids. So, uh, mm-hmm. but it, man, this has been a, a huge honor. It's been, Chip said it, he said, man, y'all, y'all are going to be able to talk and y'all are going to get along and this guy you're going to like this guy. And, you know, Chip, when he said, that's my guy, he, he, that's his stamp of, of approval. Yes, you know? yes, <laughs> and so um, I, I really am appreciative that you taking this time out to kind of just, you know, just share some insight with our audience and, and actually start building this relationship between us to kind of further along education and, and what we're doing. Man, I, I appreciate it. And, and like I said, just, 
you know, the 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 one episode of you all's podcast that I did listen to yesterday, uh, it was the young lady out of San Diego, man. I, I, I realized in that one episode, you know, you all are doing some amazing things. I think there's a lot of conversations that we could have. Um, and, and yeah, I definitely look forward to building, man, um, so that we can continue to make an impact on, on not only students, but it, on educators as well. Um, and, and one of the things that I do that kind of helps um, uh, YouTube, so I, I, I didn't mention it, but I have a YouTube channel um, that I just put videos out all the time, man, um, for kids. And it started from my students. They were the ones that encouraged it. And uh, so, yeah, man, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to building with you two. And uh, any time, man, I'm available. Let's let's set it up. We can talk off air on air. <laughs> I'm ready, man. I'm a flamingo. <laughs> hmm, absolutely. So, so uh, before we let you go here, Dana, for people that want to um, to connect with you, what are the best ways? That, you know, I know you said you got a YouTube channel, but where else can people find you? Instagram, Instagram. Uh, my handle is at yg math tutoring. Um, I have a Facebook page. Young Gurus Math Tutoring, Y-O-U-N-G-G-U-R-U-S Math Tutoring. And then uh, my YouTube channel, definitely subscribe, share, like the videos. Um, I have over 150 math videos, man. Uh, And I I do it for kids, man. uh, So YouTube.com forward slash Young Gurus Math Tutoring. Um, but yeah, Instagram, I'm releasing math clips all the time. Uh, I also have a website, www.younggurusmathtutoring.com. And, uh, yeah, I, I encourage everyone more than anything, man, subscribe and share the YouTube videos. I want kids to get the help that they need. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm on a mission to, to, to get those videos to kids around the world. Awesome, man. Well, hey, we, we super appreciate your time. And we, like Will said, man, this is a, we're, we're looking forward to continuing to build the relationship with you. Most definitely. I appreciate you all for having me as a guest as well.